Genesis chapter 9, we'll start again at verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be, be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moves upon the earth, and upon all the fish of the sea, and your hand, and your, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life therein, thereof, which is of blood thereof, shall you not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require, and at the hand of, every, of man that at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of a man. Whoso sheddeth blood, man's, sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he him, and you will be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply thereof. We're going to look a little bit at these verses, and we're going to look at what happens when sin comes into the world and rules. We talk a lot about this. Sin has conse consequences in our lives, and sin has long-term consequences. Man was created in the image of God, and we're going to look at some of these verses and look at what has happened because of sin. And what are we trying to look at is when we sin, there are consequences. God may bring blessings when we repent and does. But the consequences to our sins can be long term. And sometimes we've seen people whose lives are made very difficult by sins in their life. And people will go, well, you know, young people are foolish. They make mistakes. And you know what? I agree. Most people when they're young make a lot of, but we suffer from those mistakes way on later in our life. And we're going to look at some of the suffering. First it says, and God blessed Noah and his sons. Now, how many of you all have looked at this word bless and do you really understand what blessing means? Probably not because I looked it up and did a long study on blessing and one of these days I may do an entire study just on that one word. But to put it in simple terms, it means to kneel before an authority to be endued with power to for success prosperity fruitfulness and longevity what a thing about it when god blesses us he's giving us power and it means that we have bowed before him in humility to be blessed and we see it all through the through the scriptures where the the son will come before their father and be blessed and they will speak something of blessing over them and good terms over them. If you remember the blessing of Esau where Jacob gives Esau, or not Esau, excuse me, Jacob, when Isaac gives Jacob <laughs> the blessing and he makes him ruler over his brother, blessings, everything belongs to him, and you know, and it was what happened. And so we look at these things, blessings are important, we want the blessings, and God blesses Noah and his family. And what are some of the blessings? It says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. What was happening in the very beginning when God created man? He told man to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. All right, so this part is God reiterating his same standard that he created man for in the first place. You know, one of the hardest things is when we sin and there's consequences, trying to match what God says we're supposed to do with the consequences of where we're at. 
And I've seen it over and over where people violate God's word and they have a hard time putting things together. You know, and there's consequences. You get out, you get drunk, you drive and you crash your car up and now you've got sore bones or broken bones or, you know, and consequences that may haunt you for a long time. All right. Sometimes bones just don't heal the right way. Sometimes I remember when I got I was out and it wasn't even my fault. And I got somebody ran a red light and I got T-boned for about four years. I had I had a great nervousness at every single inter intersection. I didn't even like to see a car coming down my road unless it was stopped. <laughs> and I finally went away after a while. But there's a consequence in it and it wasn't even my fault. So we look at this and there's consequences out there. And we're going to look at some of the consequences that happened here. You know, in this thing that we have, you know, man was created for dominion over the animals and the world. And for those of you who write verses down and take notes, you're going to go through this because I'm not going to read all these verses. <laughs> in Genesis 1.26, it says that we were created for dominion over thing. In Psalms 8, verse 6, it tells us that man was created for dominion. Man was created to rule this world. And how cheap did they how cheap did man sell that right to eat a piece of fruit? To know the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan was able to take away the dominion of this world until Jesus died on the cross. That's how cheap it was. How often do we sell what God has given us so cheap? You know, we think, well, we're going to get all this stuff. It's going to be so wonderful. Sin is never as wonderful as it looks on the other side. We get there and go, wow, it's not all that great. It may take us a little while to get to where we know that it's not. Sometimes it happens immediately. We think it was really wonderful. We think we're going to get something out of it. And we find out it wasn't as good as it looked. Our flesh desires things. Our spirit desires things. Other thing that God gave us is he says that we have a spirit spirit within us man is body soul and spirit and some of these verses that we look at that in job chapter 32 verse 8 he says it has a spirit that returns back to god in ecclesiastes 12 7 he says man has a spirit that belongs to god in acts 7 59, uh, 59 it says we have a spirit second corinthians 10 uh, uh, 4 verse 16 tells us the same thing we have a spirit and we have to have that spirit come alive when we are born we have a spirit and a soul and a body when we are born again God gives us a spirit that relates to God and this is the beauty when somebody gets saved they finally start to understand the scriptures if you got saved, especially at an older age, you might remember that you used to read the Bible and it meant nothing. Now that you're saved, you start reading the Bible, and all of a sudden it is a live, living book that changes you. And it really happens that fast. If you get saved in an afternoon, you read the Bible that morning, it doesn't mean anything, and that night the Spirit starts talking to you through the Word, and you're going, whoa, what a difference. And we need to keep that in mind. When we are born again, when, Je when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in the garden at the, in the evening, he said, and Nicodemus was talking to him about how you follow him, how he could be the son, and he said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus goes, how can I climb back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, you're a teacher and you don't understand what I'm saying. You have to be born spiritually. 
And then we have the Spirit that now communicates with God and the Holy Spirit in us comes into us and communes with our spirit and changes the whole way we live, the whole way we think. And it's so important because we look at it and say, God, it is wonderful to be in a relationship with you. All of a sudden, God becomes a live, real person in our life that we are in communion with, not just an idea. We're not communicating with an idea. We're not communicating with anything else. All through the scriptures, it talks about you are worshiping these idols that have ears that can't hear and eyes that can't see and hands that can't do anything, mouths that can't speak, feet that can't go anywhere. And one of the greatest stories is in Judges where the Ark of the Covenant is put into the temple of Dagon. And they walk in in the morning and Dagon's on his face with, in, front of, in front of the Ark. And then they raise it up and the next morning it's on its face. They raise it back up, and this time they put chains and everything around it so it won't fall down again. And the next morning they come in, and they, fall, and they find it, and the head's in one place, the arms are in another place, and, and they can't just put it back up. Why? Because God was showing them, I am real. We have a God that is real when we know him, and we want to know him. We want to see him. And if you don't know him in that way, get born again. <laughs> Get born again and really get to know God. Because he wants to know us. He wants to have a personal relationship with us. And when he comes in, we sing the song from the inside out. And that song is so beautiful because God comes into us and changes us. He gives power and strength to our soul. The flesh starts getting crucified according to Galatians 2.20. And the soul is weaker and weaker and we start becoming more like him in what we think, what we say, what we do, because eventually the spirit is what is strong. And we know that we're getting there. So we have this spirit within us. We are created valuable before God. This is so important that we know the value that we have. We are created in the image of God. And we've been getting away from that for many years of understanding. Why is it wrong? And we're going to talk a lot more about this. Why is it wrong to commit murder? Because we are created in the image of God. We, read, we sang that song, you say. You say I'm loved when I don't feel anything. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. When you say I am held when I can't feel a thing. We need to really understand that song is true. We need to walk in truth, not in feelings. If you are walking in your feelings, it is a miserable way to life. All right, I wake up today and I feel really good. I'm going to have a good day. I wake up, I feel miserable. It's going to be a bad day. Who cares how you feel? Because God says, I've told, spoken the truth. God really doesn't care how we feel. We should not care about how we feel. It is so funny because I'll go into the prison sometimes and I'll meet people and you know, it's amazing to me how many people have a miserable day on Monday. Because they're looking forward to Friday. And I'm thinking, you're going to have a miserable five days waiting for one day and usually what they're waiting for is so they can go party and get so stupidly drunk and, and, and stoned that they can't remember the rest of the weekend. <laughs> And it's like, I can't understand what they're waiting for. You know, 
We need to enjoy every day because this is the day that the Lord has made. And as we sing that song, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Comes from Psalms. Do we enjoy every day because God has given us a day? Or are we looking towards something else? Waiting for that day where everything's going to be good. If you're waiting for the day that everything's going to be good, you're wasting your life. You really are. You know, you, you're waiting to retire so you can afford to do, you know, have time to do everything and then you can't afford it or you don't, or you don't have the strength. But you were waiting. You were, going to have, you were going to have a great time when you retired. You're going to have a great time on the weekend. You're going to, you waste so much time and we need to be careful about it. It's important to be able to enjoy what God has given us every day. Look for what God is doing because God is moving every single day. And he wants to bless us. We are created in that image. We have a great value to him. He also told us that he has made us fruitful. We are supposed to be fruitful both physically and spiritually. If we are attached with Jesus Christ as a vine, there should be fruit coming out of our life. We should be producing spiritual fruit and we should be witnessing to others and bringing forth other people to follow God. And we need to look at our life. Am I being fruitful? Am I being more joyful? Am I being more loving? Am I being more kind? Am I being more joyful? Is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of me and becoming stronger? And we want to keep those things in mind. Verse 2, though, shows the consequence of sin. And the fear of you... And the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all the moves on the earth, and you shall, and upon all the fish of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given unto you. Before the flood, man had dominion over the animals, and all the animals, apparently, from what this is saying, were like pets. They came to human beings and just ran up to you. Now, outside of our dogs and cats and stuff like that, you know, our domesticated animals, most animals do not come running up to us when we come to them. A lot of animals we don't want running up to us because of how wild they are. But, you know, we think about this. Man was created to be the master of this world. And the animals came to, God sent all the animals to Adam to be named. There was a peacefulness amongst the animals. There was a pleasantness of the animals. What was one of the consequences of all that sin? The very animal world changed. And not only that, but now he says, and every animal is now permitted to be eaten. God created us to be vegetarians. So when you talk to these people who say, you know, we're, we're supposed to be vegetarians, they're on good track. We were created to be vegetarians. But after the flood, God said, we can eat meat. You know, and I'm kind of glad that I, I like, I'm a good carnivore. I, lo I, love, my, I love my meat. <laughs> uh, and God said, it's legal. <laughs> it's permissible. He says, go ahead and do it. And I love, I love my bacon. I love my pork. I love my, my ribs and, my, and all those other things that I like. My hamburger. I like all that stuff. Okay, so I'm glad that God said we could. Uh, so we look at this, and God gave us this and he says I created you in the, in the beginning again 
Genesis 1.28, that we were created to have dominion. And in uh, Genesis 20, 19-20, the animals came to Adam. God created man to have dominion. After the flood, one of the consequences of sin was the animals, for the most part, didn't want to have anything do, to do with us. And I can say, outside of domesticated animals, and sometimes even those don't want to come to us. <laughs> they come to us because we feed them. <laughs> but, you know, they don't want to have much to do with human beings, and it's part of the curse, part of the consequences to sin. And that was a long-term consequence. For 1,500 years, almost 1,600 years, the animals were friendly with the human beings, were nice, didn't attack human beings, and then after the flood, all of that changed. What are the consequences of sin? Sometimes they're little things like that. You know, and you know, for me, I, I, you all know that I love, I love animals to a degree, but they're not part of the family in my opinion. You know, when somebody says, this is your, this is your son, your daughter, your granddaughter, you know, you know, no, 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 it's an animal. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, and I know my wife. My you all know my wife loves <laughs> loves animals. She calls my my daughter's dog her grandkid. You know, and it's like, no, that's a dog. <laughs> it's not the grand. It's not one of the three grandkids. It's a dog. <laughs> uh, but you know, I know that many of you are that way. You love these animals, and they make a big deal for you. And I think part of that is literally trying to have that desire to go back to before the flood the way we were created, where love for the animals was great, and that they could name the animals, and the animals came to them, recognizing them as kings and rulers and, and heads, and the animals used to come to them, and, and people longed for that old relationship with the, with the animals. And after the, after the Millennial Kingdom, even the Millennial Kingdom, it talks about how the animals will be friendly. They will be, the lion will sleep with the lamb, and all, you know, the child will be able to play on the apps, on the asp's hole and all these things and, and no danger will come and will get be turned back to what man desires. And whether I'll be different in my thought process at that time, I don't know. We'll have a glorified body. I still don't think I'll think of them as family, but at least I'll have a more desire to love them maybe. But you know, we have this thing that God has created, all of this love and desire. And sin has a consequence and follows us with that consequence. And he says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. You know, this is very beautiful to us, that God tells us right from the beginning that life is in the blood. In, in Leviticus, it tells us that man's life is in its blood. The animal's life is in its blood. And it's kind of amazing that for a long time, science tried, uh, medicine tried to heal people by taking the bad the bad diseases out of the body by bleeding them. <laughs> you know, and how many times did they literally kill somebody trying to save somebody? And we had one case where the patient was bled to death with a Bible opened up right next to them in Leviticus that said the life was in the blood. You know, if they had just read the Bible, they would have known not to do what they were doing. And so we look at this, and God says, be life. You've got all this stuff going on in you. And we're not supposed to eat the blood. You know, now, people have said, you know, we've got this stuff in our, in our meat today that is supposedly blood, but most of it is just colored liquid. Uh, they inject the thing with colored liquid because they drain all the blood out, and then they add something that looks like blood, 
that we cook that we cook and think that we're eating the blood of the animal and we're not. So most of us never eat the blood of the animals in this day and age. And but then he goes on to say that if man's blood is shed, then whatever, not just a human being, but whatever kills a man is going to be returned by death. And God says very clearly, even if it's a beast. Why? Again, because we're created in the image of God. And God says, something has killed my image. When Cain killed his brother, God brought judgment upon him. Now, his judgment wasn't that he died, but he was put away from the rest of the family and put away into a lonely existence. You know, God did allow him to take his wife with him and move away. And, you know, we look at that and people go, where Cain get his wife? Well, the fact is that we know that it was later on and, and Adam and Eve had had many sons and daughters and they were cousins because he said, everyone who finds me will want to kill me. So we're looking at a couple hundred years probably since creation to the time that Cain kills his brother. And there's people that are trying to follow this type of thing. When people are murdered, there is a consequence to that murder. And again, it's the whole idea that God has created us in us and we are valuable because of that. Again, Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Genesis 5, 1. 1 Corinthians 11, 7. And John 3, uh, James 3, 9. All of these tell us that we have great value. Why are things like murder wrong, abortion, euthanasia? Because we're destroying the image of God. And we have to understand that God takes these things seriously. Why is somebody committing suicide bad? Is because they're destroying the image of God and the life that God has given and these things are not good because we have great value. If we truly understand how valuable we are in the eyes of God because we're created in his image, we now will not take advantage of other people because they are created in the image of God. And because we're trying to touch the image of God, we will, should be able to help them and encourage them and lift them up, not keep them pushed down. Why do people do these things? Because they don't recognize that we're created in the image of God and they're following the world's way of evolution and the, and the mighty win and, this, and, the, and the weak deserve to die. And it's kind of an interesting thing. In Christianity, good things happen to the world. Outside of Christianity, people take advantage of each other and if they feel like they're strong, they'll take advantage of others until they find somebody stronger than them and they get taken advantage of. And then they'll feel like they're being abused doing, because somebody's doing to them what they've done to others. And if you look at history, you'll see the places where Christianity has reigned, mostly European middle, parts of the Middle East and, the, and North America, you see that people have freedom. Things are good. The, the state of women, even though not perfect, is a very good place because they've gotten rights. Hospitals are all over the people. People care for one another. You go to places where Christianity hasn't reigned, and even to this day, women don't have rights. People are taken advantage of. You have caste systems everywhere. You have all kinds of bad things going on, and people think it's normal to take advantage of others because they don't understand the value of life. We need to really understand 
We are created in the image of God. And if you start thinking about every time you deal with somebody, they're created in the image of God. Even if they're not saved, and they're being terribly terrible people and everything, they're still created in the image of God and need to have respect given to them. We need to really understand that. We need to fully understand that people are created in God's image, and that means we are to take care of one another if for no other reason but that they have the image of God. They have a spirit and soul in them that needs to be born again and drawn out. And if we're Christians, we really should be taking care of one another. Because not only are they in the image, but God lives in them. <laughs> and we need to really, truly, with the, with the body of Christ, reach out to each other and encourage. Because not only are they in the image, but God dwells in them. And we really are dealing with, the, with God at that point. And we need to be able to look at people and understand where God is with them and, and work with them. So we look at all these things, and then he ends with this promise that's repeated from the old tenet, the, the very beginning, you shall be fruitful and multiply. Oh, when God is in our heart, it's so wonderful to see the fruitfulness of our life. And you know, I've always wondered as I go along, is our peace that passes understanding, the verse we're memorizing in Philippians 4, 7, that comes from God to keep our minds and hearts, do we, we don't get exempted from problems. We just see them differently through God. And we can get to the place, and I've shared with you many times, I'll tell somebody, yeah, it's been such, I've had such a good life, nothing, nothing really bad has happened to me. And I've had people literally laughing at me because they're thinking, well, you know all these things that are going on, you know. But I think sometimes, because I truly sometimes think nothing's happened to me until people point out the things that have happened to me. And what do we do? If we're looking at it from God's perspective, we can look at all that's going on and say, God, you've got a plan. Paul said, these light afflictions are nothing compared to what's coming in glory. If I am looking to the heavens and what's coming, it doesn't matter what happens on this world. If I live a life with what people look at total misery for even 80, 100, 1,000 years, what is that compared to heaven when I get there? And Paul, you know, saying these light afflictions, and we've talked about this, Paul's light afflictions were really light. Being chased out of every town, just about every town that he goes into, being stoned, being, being, being attacked, being shipwrecked, being, being stuck at sea, being, being uh, killed in one case by being stoned. You know, these were light afflictions. Most of us have not been chased out of a town. Most of us have not been shipwrecked. Most of us have not had people trying to kill us. You know, we really have light afflictions. And yet how many of us will focus on our light afflictions instead of the glory of heaven, the glory of what's coming? Where is our focus in life? Are we focused on God's promised end? Or are we focused on all the bad things that, may be, that seem to be happening to us? Romans 8, 28, for, for all things work to good for those who are called according to the purpose of, uh, called according to the purpose of God and love God. Very important. All things work together for good. Even when it seems like they're bad, terrible things, God says, I have something good. 
And believe me, there are times when I've been hanging in on that rope with a knot tied to it, and I've tied myself to that rope and said, God, I don't understand what's going to good, how it's going to be good, but I'm holding on to this promise. And just focusing on, God, you're going to work something good out of this. And he does. Every time he'll turn it for good. Sometimes we don't know why, but he'll turn it for good each time. So through all of this, I want to ask a couple very important questions. First off, remember there's always long-term consequences for sin. Remember that. When you're being tempted to sin, I want you to remember there's consequences that don't seem like they're coming. Because after you commit that sin, you'll find the long-term consequences. Some of those consequences aren't that big a deal. Some are major. I've seen people who have major long-term consequences to their sin. And we need to be aware, all of us, no matter who we are, we sin, there'll be consequences. We need to keep that in mind. Keep our relationship pure with God. But the other thing I want to ask is, what is your relationship with God like? This is very important. And I'm not saying at this point are you saved or lost, but what is your relationship? Because even if you're saved, you could have a relationship that's strained by God by your choices that you're making. Are you spending time in his word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time making stupid decisions that are going to affect the rest of your your life or make it hard for you? And I've recently done that. I've made some stupid, not necessarily sinful decisions, but stupid decisions that have kept me from doing some things that I want to do later on. How are we in our relationship to God? And I want to challenge you to think about that, not in introspection and say it's really bad, but to come to repentance. If you've made these mistakes, repent. God, I am sorry I made these sinful actions, these wrong actions. Please help me not do it again and to live by your spirit and turn away from what you've done and turn to God and let him move forward with you. It is so important for us to live for God, to walk with God in a day-to-day basis because it is so critical. And you know what? God has promised that he will redeem the years that we've made mistakes. So you go, well, you know, I, I became saved when I was 50, 60, 120, whatever it might be. I have ruined my life and I've ruined my relationship with my kids and, and the rest of my family. And God says, I will redeem those years. What will he do? I don't know. But I've watched him over the years redeem relationships where we've hurt our family, we've hurt the kids, we've hurt whoever. And God says, I will redeem when you're focused on me. And when the God of the universe steps in, who knows what's going to happen. You pray for your kids, you pray for your grandkids, your aunts, your nieces, your nephews, your uncles, whoever it might be, pray for them. Pray that God will step into their life and bring them back. And you can watch God move, that he'll move everything to bring that child, that person, back to him. Doesn't mean they're going to get saved. It just means that God will move. God has promised that nobody will be without excuse at the white throne judgment. Everybody will have heard the gospel message. 
When they stand before God, they will not be able to say, God, I didn't know I was a sinner. I didn't know that I needed you. They will know that they need him. Our job is to stand before God and say, God, what is it that you want me to do be? And learn to repent. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. And what does confess mean? To say the same thing as. Confession is not saying, God, I made a mistake. You know, or, God, I, I just... I, inadvertently happened to not do what was right. God wants to say, God, I have sinned. I have done what you said not to do. That is what confession is. How many of you, when you were little or even when you had kids, you, told, you were told or, they, or you told your kids, go tell somebody you're sorry. And would you go, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm glad you're sorry. You know, it seems like you don't mean it. But, you know, I've always hated parents who have made their kids not hated the fact that their kids were made to say sorry. And I understand they're trying to train them. But when the kids are just saying, I'm sorry, and have no meaning behind those words, it doesn't mean anything. But when that kid comes on their own accord, and some of it is to teach them that they need to be sorry, and I understand the idea of teaching them to go say, I'm sorry. We're hoping that eventually they'll mean it. But we need to be careful that we're not doing that to God and others. Just going up to them and saying, I'm sorry that hap- that, that happened. If we're going to apologize, we need to really make it a truthful apology. We're told to be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks. Be, be, you know, and that word in Greek is to apologia, which means to apologize. And what is apologize really is to give a reason for something. So when I'm going to really truly apologize to somebody, you know what, I, I did this and it was wrong and I am sorry because I violated God's rules towards you. And we may not have to say all of that, but that really has to be in our heart and be expressed to be a true apology. I did this, I know that I was wrong and that I hurt you in what I did. Just telling somebody I'm sorry is not what we're looking at and God is saying, When we confess our sins, we're telling him that, God, I know what I did was wrong towards you in the very least. David said in in, uh, Psalm 53, against you and you only have I sinned, God. Because he recognized that truly sin is against God. And in his case, he was talking about the murder of Uriah. And he's saying, okay, I killed Uriah, but God, it was against you that I sinned. We need to understand the power of that sin. We under, need to understand the power of what happens to us when we, when we sin and the broken relationships between God and people. Because people are so valuable because they are created in the image of God. Which is why God says that he has this desire that no one goes to hell. Because the people that he has created in his image will spend eternity being punished. That is not what he wants to do. We need to get that heart and that desire to lift up. We need to understand that we are created in the image of God and treat ourselves with that same image. There is nobody who is worthless that is, that is alive because we have God's image in us. And we need to be confessing to ourselves these songs we sing right here. If you don't have a good image of who you are in Christ, read Ephesians 1 and 2. Really get to know who you are in Christ. 
Get the notes on the lesson that we've talked about, the 53 things that happened to you at the moment of salvation, which will help you understand who you are in Christ. That God loves us. He sees us as perfect. He sees us as righteous. He sees us as loved. He sees us as strong. He says we're his children. We've been adopted into his family. We are all sons and daughters of the king. And we need to start seeing us in that light because it is so important. There is great consequence to sin. But God says we don't need to live in those consequences. We need to live in who we are. And we need to go forward in who we are. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help each one of us to see who we are in Christ. Help us to understand that, number one, we need to be in you. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you listening to this message, that today they will recognize that they're a sinner and come to you and will say, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Come into my life. Lord, if anybody says that prayer, we ask that they now communicate it with other Christians to let them know what they have done. That you will help to see us, ourselves, and others in your sight. Lord, we pray for that right now. Lord, just come in and let people have the power of your belief into their system and help them to see who you are. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says... The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9-8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.